This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 10 through 17. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystria, which uh, persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So when I first joined the Army, I was issued a book. The book was called A Soldier's Handbook, and uh, it's looked you know, different over the years. It's pretty close to the copy that I had. And uh, within the Soldier's Handbook really was all the information you needed to know to be a good soldier in the United States Army. So things like how to apply a tourniquet, things like how to uh, disarm a landmine, you know, really practical, helpful things like that, uh, things like how to throw a hand grenade. Really, everything you needed was in that handbook, the soldier's handbook. Now, what would happen is if when you got to your actual unit, there are some soldiers there that would say, you know, I know that handbook is important. I know that but I'm really not going to live according to the handbook. I'm really not going to do what it says to do as I am a soldier in this army. And what if there were a lot of soldiers that said that? I mean, that would put lives at danger. Really, it put the security of our country in danger. Now, hopefully, you know where I'm going with this. If you don't, I don't know how to help you any more than that, but take your soldier's handbook and put it high in the air, if you would. Uh, This is the word of God. This is God's word to us. This is our Christian handbook, so to speak. And it's far more important than a soldier's handbook. This book was written by God himself. This book is uh, divinely inspired. And to set this book aside and the implications of what it says aside is to not just put a country in danger, it's to put somebody's eternity in danger. This is a very, very serious thing. And we should be people who live according to the word. Now, chances are you're already there with me, right? I mean, after all, you attend redemption, Bible church, and I'm sure that you would say amen to living according to the word of God. Very good. Good job. In fact, there are several things I could say this morning that you would say amen to. If I said, this is God's word, you would say, if I said, it is divinely inspired, you would say, 
it is without error, you would say, it's sufficient for all of my life, you would say, amen to that. But stop and think for a moment. Is the word of God really your guide for life? Really and truly. You made uh, several decisions this morning, right? So just think about today. We're just going to think today. And uh, you got up and you decided, should we go to church or should we not go to church? And uh, I'm very glad that you decided to come to church. Amen to that. Uh, now, some of you who are sitting at home, you know, that's on you. All right, that's on you. You just you do with what God would have you do with that. But the rest of us came to church this morning. We are here uh, for that. Now, that's, so that's awesome. You also made a decision about what you're going to wear to church. Now, I'm questioning some of you, but for the most part, that was a good decision. So you made decisions on that. Uh, without even knowing it, you decided as you walked into the door, how am I going to treat the people that are around me this morning? You made decisions about that. You made decisions about where you're going to sit in the service. And, you know, I can take each one of those. Oh, how about this one? Uh, how fast you drove to church today. You made a decision about that, didn't you? And all of these things, all of these things I'm talking about, you know, I can go to the, God's word and get direction about what I should do with each of, each of those decisions. Should we come to church or should we not come to church? Well, Hebrews 10, 24 says, do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So should we come to church? The answer is, remember that next week. (laughs) Just saying. And and that's church day. Like if there's an easy day to make decisions, it's church day. How about tomorrow? How about work day? How about school day? How about family gathering day? Do you know there's tons of decisions you're going to make throughout the course of that day as well? And do you know God's word has a lot to say about that? Thousands of decisions you make every week, God's word gives instructions. So when I say, do you really live biblically? You see, church, it's one thing to understand and appreciate the Bible as God's word. It's another thing entirely to actually live biblically. And that's what I want to challenge you today. And that sounds like a lot of work, doesn't it? Sounds like a ton of work. Well, how about this? This is uh, 2 Timothy 2.15, which says this. Be diligent to present yourselves to God, approved to God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling what? The word of truth. We're doing a series that we're going to call The Bible in Life. And we're going to try to highlight for you this very principle that there's so many areas of your life that actually have biblical instruction, and we want to be sure you have that biblical instruction that you are thinking biblically as you approach these things. What does God's word have to say about me as a citizen of this country? What does God's word have to say about how I interact with the culture that's around me, how close I am, how much I need to separate from the culture around me? What does God's word have to say about the whole gender issues that we face today? Is God worth speaking to these things? We believe that he is, and it does, and we want to show you and highlight those things for you. Now, today, we're in 2 Timothy chapter 3. 
And we're actually going to step into chapter four as well, because from this, I want to give you four kind of principles, foundational principles, as we think about this idea of a worldview. So let me unpack that for you. First of all, look at this, the reality of our worldview, the reality of our worldview. And we're going to go back to the text here. This is um, an interesting passage, because what... Uh, Paul is actually doing is he's addressing his protege in the faith, Timothy. So here's a disciple that he's raised. He's a young pastor, and he's giving him instruction. This is one of the last books that Paul actually ever wrote, and he's given this instruction to Timothy. And what he's really saying in this whole portion is, Timothy, there's a foundation. There's a very important foundation that has to be set. And so set that foundation rightly. And this first part, uh, verses 10 going into 11, really talk about this. Hey, this foundation impacts how I actually lived. It impacts what I did. So look at verse number 10 where he says this. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Watch my persecutions and sufferings. And and he's saying, look, I, I, I did some things. And I said some things. I believed some things. I loved some things. I had an aim in life. And you've seen that, Timothy. You've seen my example of how I did all of that. Guess what? That's coming from someplace. I have a worldview, Timothy, that guides everything that I do. And that worldview, as we see later, is Scripture. But here's the truth, man. Everybody lives with a point of view. Everybody has a worldview. It's kind of one of those uh, phrases right now, this whole point of view or POV. It's a phrase that's actually being used quite a bit in even modern psychology and psychiatry. I was listening to a podcast this week, and it was talking about this concept of a point of view. And the story was about this grandson and his grandmother. And the grandmother's coming to visit. And this grandmother's kind of a loose cannon. You know, she likes to have a lot of fun and be fun. Uh, And sometimes she makes promises she doesn't come through on, which is what happens in this story, she promised that she'd take this kid to a baseball game, and he would meet Cal Ripken, who was a baseball player several decades back, but you would know, uh, Aaron told you. Uh, but anyway, uh, so all of that going on, and she doesn't show up for the baseball game, and he's all sad and distraught, and his dad sits him down and says, look, you got to understand, this is my mom, and there have been some point in times in my life when she has been there, and she's encouraged me. And there's some point in times in my life where she's really abandoned me. And he said, here's what I've done. I've just, I've enjoyed the good and I've just chose to forgive the bad. And that was a POV, a point of view that he decided to take. Now, it could have been, I'm wounded, I'm hurt, my mom was never there for me, but instead he had a point of view. And everybody has a point of view. Everybody has a worldview in which they look at life. And, 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 and just pick up a newspaper. Wait, never mind, none of you have newspapers. Um, read an online article. Uh, read a blog. Check out a link, and you're going to see everybody comes with a worldview. Because you can have an event that happens, and it's carried one way on CNN, but very different way on Fox News. It's being approached by a worldview. In fact, several years back, we saw this with the, world, the Wall Street Journal. Uh, this is back when Trump was in office, and he made some statements about the wall. And, you know, they distribute their uh, newspaper to all over the country. And in some parts of the country, the headline read, Trump makes a strong stand about the border. And then another part of the country, the article, the headline read, Trump softens his speech about the border. Same event, nearly the same article, but little different POV or point of view. 
you have a point of view. You have a worldview. You see the world a certain way. It's informed by something. My question is, is your worldview really and truly based on the word of God? Is your worldview really and truly based on God's word? Are you pro-life? This is rhetorical. (laughs) I'm just saying that ahead of time. But what chapter and verse would you attach to being pro-life? Do you believe in um, border security? What chapter and verse would you give to that? Against gay marriage? Okay. I think God's word has something to say about that. But where would you go? Do you know? You might strongly hold to that. What chapter and verse would you attach to that? You like to eat only organic food? You must be a millionaire. But other than that, um, again, do you have a chapter and verse to support that? No, listen, I'm not saying that every decision that you make in life has to have a chapter and verse. What I am saying is you have to know your strongly held opinions. What is really the foundation of those strongly held opinions? Where are they coming from? Which will dictate how tightly you hold to them. I'm probably going to hold more tightly to the pro-life thing than I would the organic vegetable thing, right? I hope. Now, here's something else that's important. You have a worldview. That's kind of the point, uh, point number one. Here's a point, point number two. That worldview comes from someplace. Let's talk about the foundation of our worldview, the foundation of our worldview. In Timothy, uh, in the book of uh, 2 Timothy, Paul goes here. So uh, look at verse number 14 in the text where he says this, but as for you, uh, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So it was uh, back in Mother's Day. We were in Acts where Timothy was first introduced. And on Mother's Day, I was able to talk about Timothy's mother and his grandmother and the impact they had teaching him the scriptures. Now, I didn't plan it to be that uh, awesome. God did that for me. But in terms of like the timing of that text in that day, but the point was is that Timothy from childhood, this text says from childhood, really that word childhood, could be from infancy. As a baby, as a nursing baby, Timothy was taught God's word. And what Paul is saying is from childhood, from your earliest days, you had the right foundation. You had the word of God to give you instruction. And did you know how much of your worldview is really just based on your upbringing? (laughs) Where you grew up as a child, So anyone who knows Courtney knows she's a big Notre Dame fan, so much so that even our dogs are big Notre Dame fans, as you can see from this picture. And uh, um, uh, you just just pray for Notre Dame fans right now. We're having a little tough time, okay? Just pray for us. Uh, But why is Courtney a Notre Dame fan? Well, it's because when she was 10 years old, she did the research and she studied every college in the country and considered their programs and their histories and, and no, she didn't do that. She's a Notre Dame fan because her dad was a Notre Dame fan. 
And she grew up in a Notre Dame home. And they grew up rooting for the fighting Irish. And so therefore, and it just helps that we have an Irish heritage. I mean, that helps too, being redheads. You know, that, that's a real benefit to being an Irish fan. But the whole point is that, is that there was a foundation that was there from childhood based upon the home you grew up in. So you have firmly held beliefs. You feel strongly about some things. Small government, awesome. Uh, whatever the case may be, Coke versus Pepsi, you know. If you're really messed up, Ford over Chevy, because Chevy's clearly better. But all that to say, there are these things you hold to, and I think we need a little evaluation. I think it's, it's important to have an evaluation really along two lines, if I can challenge you to this. Evaluate, first of all, what have I been taught? Make a list. What are the things you hold to most firmly? What are those things? And then ask the question, why do I believe those things? Where are those things really coming from? It's good to evaluate that, but it's also then, I think, very, very important to evaluate, okay, what am I teaching? Because you are teaching something. Especially if you're a parent and you have children, they're watching. This uh, passage in 2 Timothy really highlights a truth we see in Proverbs, which says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, by the way, to unpack all that is, is there's a lot there to talk about. In the original uh, Hebrew, it's not so much saying that there's a guarantee there. What it is saying is that whatever you bring a child up in, that's what he's going to learn. It's going to be really hard to get him away from that. If it's the Word of God, that's a great thing, and I think we need to be teaching our children God's Word. Now, listen, Check me on this. I'm going to come down here to make this really serious, okay? Are you with me on this? Not just what you say, but how you actually live. I think right now there is a lot of deconstructing happening because the generation before us did a lot of talking about things but not actually living out those things, and the kids at home saw a massive gap between what mom and dad say and how they actually operate. And I just want to challenge you, and don't just say it. Don't just think it's for them. Listen, let the gospel and the word of God dwell so richly in you that it's having an impact in the way you live. Now, are you going to be perfect in that? Please say no. <laughs> it's a whole different theology that says you can get perfect at this because you can't get perfect at it. But when you fail, what do you do? You give them an example of what it looks like to live in the gospel. I failed, honey. I shouldn't have said that. I was wrong in me to do that, but I went to God and I asked his forgiveness and I want you to forgive me too. But live that out. This is one of the reasons, if I can be honest, that I'm kind of harping a little bit today on church attendance. And I know I've, I've said this already about you know, Hebrews 10, 24, and kind of teased about that a little bit. But I want you to stop and think about this. We have noticed post-pandemic that where people were coming two to three times a month, it's now kind of dropped back to once or twice a month. And so there are a lot of probably things in any given month that might keep you away from attending church. Now, um, a lot of you grew up the way, the way that um, I've heard in uh, that whenever the church, church doors were open, you were there. Like you grew up Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and you know, get all that. 
Um, I, w- I would say, you know, we're not, you know, we don't, we have one service, so it makes it really easy to at least once a week. But I would really check what would keep you away, because what you're doing is you're teaching your kids subtly. Whatever that thing is on that day is more important than church and really more important than the Word of God, because the Word of God is kind of clear about that. So it's just one example as to be sure that you're, what you're saying and what you're believing is coming out in how you're living. And because of this, because of the authority uh, for our worldview. So you have the reality of our worldview. We all have it, the foundation. A lot of that comes from childhood. But now here's where it should come from. Let's talk about the authority for our worldview, the authority for our worldview. And this uh, gets us to verse number 16. This is common. You've probably heard these verses a lot. If you've been in a Bible preaching church, you for sure heard them. But let's dive in. There's so much theology in these two verses about his word that I want to be sure you have and you hold to. So 2 Timothy 3, chapter 16. Check this out. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Massive things there. Let's talk about several of them. First of all, I want to talk about the extent of God's word. So I'm going to give you some important theology from these two verses that you need. And I want you to hold to these carefully because these are what these verses teach. And first of all, let's talk about the extent of God's word. So the text here says, how much of scripture, church? All scripture, all scripture. Uh, And we believe firmly it is the 66 books that you have in your Bible. Now, it would take a whole nother 40-minute sermon for me to unpack why each of those belong in the Bible. And while some of them don't belong in the Bible, not the words we have, but other writings don't belong here, that the ones you have right here in this book are the inspired word of God. And if you want to read articles about that, if you want to deep dive into that, I mean, we got all of that for you. But suffice it to say this morning, morning, this is all of God's word right here in our hands. The whole counsel of God, we saw uh, Paul say to the Ephesian elders the last couple of weeks, the whole counsel, all of it. And here's why that's really, really important. If you preach just a little snippets of the Bible, but not all the Bible in its original context with the right interpretation, you can make the Bible say all kinds of things. In fact, take your Bible, if you would, and go to Micah chapter 7. Micah chapter 7. I was listening to a preacher preach this recently, and uh, in preparation for my sermon, I'll be honest, and I came across this clip. I won't even mention the preacher's name, but it might rhyme with Bull Smostein. Uh, but um, <laughs> Micah chapter 7, and, uh, and look at verse number 8. Micah 7, verse number 8. And, and here's what was said. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy, when I fall, I shall rise. When I fall, I shall rise. Do you hear the hope in that verse? That if he, you know, uh, when trouble comes my way and, and he didn't let himself be discouraged, he looked inside himself and he found the strength inside himself to say, I shall rise. When the hard times came, he knew what to do. He looked to his own self to say, I'm going to stand up and I will rise. And a preacher's really nice. 
It sounds really great. And it tickles that part of our heart that wants to say, I got something here. I'm somebody and I'm going to rise up. But the problem with that theology is the rest of the text. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. Uh Uh-oh. There's not a whole lot of um, self-help in that phrase right there. But watch where he goes. Until Until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me, he will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. What the text is saying is when I fall into sin, I will go to God to be my forgiveness, and based on what he has done, therefore I will rise. It's a call back to the gospel. It's a call back to gospel truth, not to look inside yourself to find healing and help in you. It's looking to God to find healing and help in him, and the gospel alone brings that. But that little snippet, that little part, makes it sound like, man, I got something in me. I can just believe in myself, and I can rise. No, no, no. Scripture says that through Christ, because we know the end of that story, and that's Jesus Christ. Now, listen, check this. You're going to have to really have your eyes open to this. There's a lot of avenues of teaching coming your way. I know there is. There's podcasts, and there's books, and there's online preachers, and there's all these snippets and things and quotes And it's easy to read something that has a Bible verse attached to it and say, well, the Bible must say this. Remember how we said earlier, be diligent, rightly handling the word of truth? Grammatical, historical, redemptive hermeneutic, literal hermeneutic. When you approach God's word, there's a whole lot there to consider, not just what I want to hear. All right, you with me on this? The extent of God's word, all of God's word, all of Scripture Verse number 16, the uh, second part of that is this, is breathed out by God. See that? All scripture is breathed out by God. Well, what does that mean? Uh, well, we call this the inspiration of God's word, the inspiration of God's word. I'll unpack this, but why did it say God breathed? That sounds a little weird. Okay, fine. Take your hand, put it in front of your face. Do this. Go ahead and do this. You can all do this. Everyone do this. And I want you to say, Peter Piper, Peter Piper picked a peck of pickle peppers. <laughs> And, and just leave it there for a minute. As you talk, as you speak, I'm, I'm feeling it right now in my hand. As I'm talking, I can feel my own breath. God's word, it's God, God spoke his word. All the scripture is the very breath of God, the very word of God. That's a massive thing. Well, now hold on a second, Pastor. Didn't Moses write Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy? Didn't Moses write that? Didn't David write the Psalms? Didn't Matthew write Matthew and Luke write Luke? And Timothy write 1 Timothy? No, wait, that's not right. Paul wrote 1 Timothy. (laughs) Yeah, they did. But look what Scripture says about that. This is 2 Peter 1, 21, where he says this. By the way, the the whole... 
chapter one of Second Peter is pretty awesome where he says, I was on the Mount, of, the Mount of Transfiguration. Like I saw Jesus transformed. I heard a voice from heaven. Like I experienced all of that. But he says, we have a more sure word of prophecy in the word of God. Like as real as that was, this is more sure than what I saw and what I heard myself. And then he says this, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. All right, so uh, you've been praying for my dad. I appreciate that. I actually, uh, it was very hard to do this, but I actually bought him a plane ticket for a week from Monday uh, really, we're to the point now where all his initial care has been done. So now he has that long-term care that we have to get taken care of. So I got to get him to the right doctors in the right place. And since my sister works for the VA or alongside the VA in uh, Alaska, she knows how to work all that magic. So he's going to go live with her for a portion and we'll see how that all goes. Uh, but I'm going to have to take dad, all that to say, to give you kind of an update on dad, be praying for him. It was really like, it hit me more emotionally than I thought it would to say, okay, it's time for him to go now. And that's tough. And I love him. But and for his cares, we're doing. But also, uh, we're going to go to the airport. And you've, you've seen this in the airport, right? These uh, walkways that, that are like, you know, they, they move, these moving walkways. You've seen these? Those need to be everywhere. Like every place needs to have those moving walkways uh, in my home. Get into the kitchen, you know, anyway. But that's, uh, but you know, you're walking. But as you're walking, that thing is moving you. So you're just cooking along. For some of you older folks, I always want to go, anybody younger than 45 probably didn't get that joke, but it's okay. Uh, but all I have to say, like, like, there's, like, like, you're walking, but it's carrying you. You're doing the walking, but it's really carrying you. And that's kind of the idea behind this word here. In fact, this word for carried along by the Holy Spirit, we're going to see it in a minute in Acts. And in Acts, what, what happens is Paul gets into a ship, that ship is hit by a, a storm, and that storm uh, uh, is so strong, the sailors just get their hands off of the sails, and it says, and we let the wind drive her. We let the wind drive her, it'll say. Well, that, that idea of let the wind drive, the same word used here, carried along. It, the Holy Spirit moved these authors. So yes, as David was writing these songs, his hand was being carried by the Holy Spirit. As Paul was writing in Luke and all these authors, it was their own language, their own personalities. But listen, every single word chosen by God. Every word. We believe in the plenary verbal inspiration of scriptures. All of it in every single word. Now, of the originals, and that's a whole other story, but all I have to say, that book you have in your hands, the very words in the original languages are chosen by God himself. That's huge. Because it's God that wrote it. God wrote the book. Everyone say that. God wrote the book. Okay, so therefore, it has this. We've seen the extent of God's word, the inspiration of God's word. Let's talk about this, the authority of God's word, the authority of God's word. It is one thing for Maddie Grace to tell Landon, hey, go clean your room. And I hope it's another thing for dad to say, hey, Landon, go clean your room. Not that he needs told that. His room is always sparkling clean. <laughs> Authority means something. And since God wrote the book, this is how Wayne Grudem, an impact that he 
season that Wayne Grudem said this about authority of scripture. The authority of scripture means that all the words in scripture are God's words in such a way that to disbelieve or disobey any word in scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God. Everyone say, wow. Yeah. I, I hope that means that there are times when God's word can stop you in your tracks. When the Holy Spirit will bring a verse to mind and you can be like, not going to do that. Not going to go there. Not going to dwell on that thought. Not going to let my mind think those things. Not going to let those words escape my mouth. Not going to let that thing hit my eyes. Because God's word says not to. That means we got to know it. And that means we got to let it have the proper authority that it should have. Since God's word is inspired, that means it has authority. It also means this, it is infallible. So let's talk about the infallibility of God's word, the infallibility of God's word. Here's an awesome verse, especially when you attach it to the idea of divine authorship. Here's Numbers 23, verse 19. God is not man that he should lie, or the son of man that he should change his mind. I hope you're really thankful for that. Uh, He saved me. um, He chose me from eternity past, sent his son to die for me in, in in November of 1987, Uh, He chose to have me believe, quicken my heart to believe, and he's never going to change his mind about that. But look what it says. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? God's going to do what he says he's going to do. He's made promises in the word. He's going to keep his promises. I'm thankful because there's a whole bunch of promises in God's word that I cling to on a regular basis. I hate this about myself, but I tend to fall into anxiety now. There tends to be time when I just find my heart anxious. Where do I go with an anxious heart? Man, I got to go to the promises of his word, like Matthew chapter 6, which says that he cares for the grass of the field and the birds of the air. He's going to care for me. Or that the work he began in me, Philippians 1, that he's going to bring it to completion. He's going to get the job done in me. There's all kinds of promises that I need from his word, and he's going to do all that he said he would do. His word is infallible, and we're so thankful for that. And then I think the point of this text primarily is this last one. And all these things are true because of what this text has said. Since all scripture is inspired, therefore it has authority. Therefore it means it's infallible. But the point of this particular text, I believe, is this. It's sufficient. It's sufficient. The sufficiency of God's word. What does that fancy word sufficiency means? It means this. Everything you need to live life right according to him's, him is found in the word of God. Everything you need is found right here in his word. And let me show you this in the text. We're going to look at uh, verse 16 again. And uh, these words are awesome. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for, check this out, teaching, for reproof, for correction, 
and for training in righteousness, the state of being right. So let me say it this way. I heard it put this way once. It's really good. For teaching. Teaching is, this is what's right. For reproof. Reproof is, hey, that's not right. For correction. All right, here's how to get right. And for training. All right, here's how to stay right in God's eyes. To this extent... So God's word has all those things to this extent, verse 17, that the man of God may be completely equipped for, church, every good work. Man, remember those decisions we were talking about earlier this morning, the what to wear and, 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 and all those questions about should I come to church, should I not come to church, where should I sit in church, and tomorrow, what should I say, how should I interact with the world around me? All those decisions are informed by the word of God. Now, we know that for the big decisions. Like, if, if you're still kind of hunting, like, who should I marry? God's word has some things to say about the kind of person you should look for. You know, those big decisions, we like to go to God's word, but God's word informs every decision to some degree. And I want to encourage you to get into the word. Peter said this in 2 Peter chapter 1, his divine power, so, this is so beautiful, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence, check this out, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, have escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So much in that verse. But listen, all things that pertain to life and godliness, we have, he's granted us all that according to the knowledge of him uh, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Through God's promises, I have everything I need to do life and to do it in a godly way. Now listen, I hope what that does for you is even though you're in a church that preaches the word of God, you're coming here on a regular basis, you love the word of God, I hope what that does for you is give you a little bit more foundation as to the theology of God's word and what, what it means to say it's been inspired and the ramifications of that. And then, now listen, like the soldier's handbook, we can say, great, psh, don't really need it. Or we can say, no, I do need it. And that's, listen, that's got to be firm in your heart. That's got to be like really, really firm because of this last uh, point, which is the distortion of our worldview, the distortion of our worldview. Because I want you to see where Timothy goes. And he goes here several places. Look at verse 13. So this is three. I'll let you write that down. I know I, I say, here's a point, and then I get on to have you look at the Bible. But you write that down, distortion of our worldview. It's spelled D-I-S-T-O-R-T-I-O-R-T-I-O-R-T-I-O-R-T-I-O-R-T-I-O-R-T-I-O-R-T-I-O-R-T-I-O-R-T-I-O-R-T-I-O-R-T-I-O-R-
Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So if the preaching doesn't have some rebuke in it, it's not biblical preaching. I got to be able to say, that ain't right. Now, here's what I want to get to. Verse number three, check this out. For the time is coming when people will not endure some teaching. By the way, the worship team can come. I'm sorry, I should have said that before. Worship team, come on up. Uh, For the time will come when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. So Paul wrote this a long time ago. He said, the time is coming. I kind of think for us today, the time might be here. when people will not want to hear truth. But what they will want to do is to get teachers to just tell them what feels good, what seems right to me, so I can do, according to the text, whatever I want, according to their own passions, it says, according to their own heart desires. Man, I want to live a certain way, and I want to find teachers to tell me it's okay to live that way. And this is the world we live in. I don't care if you have a nice house. If it's in a garbage dump, you got to be careful about not stinking. And we're in a world that is just pressing this into you. And the pressure for you to capitulate about God's word is going to be constantly on you. I think Romans 1 is very clear about what God feels about homosexuality. By the way, he's not for it. But there are preachers today who will twist what God's word said because that's where the culture is going. And you have a pressure to follow into that and to give into things. I'm telling you, put your feet firmly on the word of God. You need it, church. You desperately need it. Because your worldview will be the foundation upon which you stand when the storms of life come. When they come, what are you standing on? If you have somehow decided this isn't really his word or it's really not that important, then what about his promises that you need desperately when you're in trouble? Man, I have... There are several times when I've been in pretty deep despair over my own sin, other people's sin, hurts, my own and others. And then I'm doing my devotions and I open up God's word. And it's like, that, I needed that today. And God knew it and he gave me that promise to stand on. What are you standing on? What I want from you today is to say, okay, I'm standing on something. I am. I know I am. Is it really God's word? I want to evaluate that and commit today in my heart. I will let God's word shape my worldview. And on that foundation, I will stand when times are difficult. I'm going to trust in God, his word, his faithfulness, and I'm going to let that be my foundation So I'm going to pray to that. And God, thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you for your word that gives us such good foundation to stand on. 
And God, I, I want to pray that we would just be affirmed in this today. You would help us to live in this today. And we're going to give you the praise for what you're going to do in Christ's name. Amen.